0: Hi everyone, Uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Louisa, and I've been coming to St. Stephen's for almost nine months now. I'll be reading the second Bible passage, which comes from Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1 to 16. You can find this on page 725 of your Pew Bibles. Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of power, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears. But with righteousness, he will judge the needy. With justice, he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. With the breath of his lips, he will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt, and faithfulness the sash around his waist. The wolf will live with the lamb, and the leopard will lie down with the goat. The calf and the lion and the yearling together, and a little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear, their young will lie down together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox. The infant will play near the hole of the cobra and the young child put his hand into the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain, for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In that day, the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the peoples. The nations will rally to him, and his place of rest will be glorious. In that day, the Lord will reach out his hand a second time, to reclaim the remnant that is left of his people from Assyria, from Lower Egypt, from Upper Egypt, from Cush, from Elam, from Babylonia, from Hamath, and from the islands of the sea. He will raise up a banner for the nations and gather the exiles of Israel. He will assemble the scattered people of Judah from the four quarters of the earth. Ephraim's jealousy will vanish and Judah's enemies will be cut off. Ephraim will not be jealous of Judah, "'Nor Judah hostile towards Ephraim. "'They will swoop down on the slopes of Philistia to the west. "'Together they will plunder the people to the east. "'They will lay hands on Edom and Moab, "'and the Ammonites will be subject to them. "'The Lord will dry up the gulf of the Egyptian sea. "'With a scorching wind, "'he will sweep his hand over the Euphrates' river. "'He will break it up into seven streams "'so that men can cross over in sandals.' There will be a highway for the remnant of his people that is left from Assyria, as there was for Israel when they came up from Egypt.
1: G'day, my name is Daniel and I've been with the Deacon mission team this week. Let me pray for us as we hear from God's word. Heavenly Father, your word is sharper than a double-edged sword. We pray this evening, as we hear it, and as I preach it, that you will cut to our hearts that we might live for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, uh, I want to say thank you for having us. It's been a real joy and a real privilege with the rest of the Deacon students to serve alongside you here uh, today. Um, It's it's, Not just today, but this whole week. It's been really encouraging. We've really loved it. Uh, we've enjoyed door knocking, we've enjoyed going out to your neighbourhood, meeting you as well, and, um, and, and we've been really encouraged by the ministry that is happening here. Um, one of the things that uh, I found really encouraging was going along to Yoshi um, and to, to be a part of the youth group there, and that made, it reminded me a bit of um, when I was in high school, back uh, a while ago now, maybe 15 or so years ago when I finished high school, uh, and it reminded me of when I was in Year 12, like other Year 12 students, I'd spent the year not just studying, but I'd also spent the year thinking about what I was going to do with the rest of my life. Throughout that year at school, we had a motto, and that, that motto was, Tomorrow, your world. Tomorrow, your world. And so I was, I was in the year thinking, how should I live, leave my mark on the world? What is it that I should do to make the world a better place? And as I did that, I thought, well, it's pretty straightforward. You just need to fix the broken bits of the world. You just need to fix the broken bits of the world. And so, as far as I could tell, there were two big problems that the world was facing. Firstly, climate change. Fifteen years ago, climate change was becoming a thing. Uh, In the media, it was more and more prevalent. There were warnings that very soon, Melbourne was going to be as warm as Brisbane, as if that was a problem. Um, Climate change needed attention. I thought I could get involved with this. I can help fix climate change. I can make the world a better place. But secondly, the second problem I thought that the world faced was poverty. Uh, there were a lot of poor, or there, what? there were and there still are a lot of poor people in the world, and they need help. I can do that. I, I can get involved with this. I can help poverty. I can help make poverty history. I thought I could put these two things together. I could help solve climate change and, 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 and help, stop making pov- uh, help make poverty history. And so a few years after I finished school, a few years after studying, I was working in a solar research facility. Uh, facility. I was researching how to make solar panels cheaper, I was researching how to make them more simply, so that you could go to a developing country and that you could, uh, that you could make solar panels there. And I thought, I'm fixing all of the world's problems. I was working very long hours, but I wasn't being paid overtime. Often I was um, at home, I was doing research online and on weekends, um, And there was even a period of time when the company ran out of money and none of us were being paid. But we all still went to work each morning because it was a dream job. People in in developing countries uh, in poverty needed jobs and clean electricity. And we were working to provide a solution. We were working to help, help them escape their poverty. The world is still suffering pollution. And we were creating a solution to that, clean energy. I was making the world a better place. I was not just interested in this, I was actually involved. I thought I was making the world a better place. I was fixing the problems. Or was I? You might have called me an activist or an idealist at that time in my life. And young people often get labelled this, don't they, these days? with wonderful ambitions to fix all of the problems of the world. Back then, I thought they were climate change and poverty. Perhaps with a bit more hindsight, with a bit more wisdom, I might say something like suffering or, 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 or world peace are bigger problems that need to be dealt with. Either way, activists try to fix these big problems in the world. Now, are they right? Should we be working to make the world a better place? Or... Should we be more cynical? You know, like those grumpy old men. The ones who are a bit more jaded, they've had a bit more life experience, they're a bit more they've a bit more perspective and they say give up on your impossible dreams, it's no point doing that. You're wasting your effort, you're wasting your breath. You're just going around in circles. Everything is always going to be the same. Are those cynics right? Who knows? Whichever way we look at it, whether we're an idealist or whether we're a cynic, whichever way we look at things, we cannot deny that the world is suffering. We cannot deny that the world is not at peace, that the world needs help. But who should we listen to? The activist who says, yes, yes, let's fix everything. Or the cynic who says, don't waste your breath. Well, our passage today in Isaiah 11 gives an interesting answer to this. And so we're in Isaiah 11, and and up to this point in in the book of Isaiah, we've seen a lot of judgment. Um, The rich living forest that Israel once was is now cut down. All that remains is stumps. It's like a bushfire that has raced through the forest, leaving nothing but smouldering and charred remains. The enemy, the enemies of God's people, Judah, they're like floodwaters. They're a tsunami that has surged forward. And and they've wiped out Ephraim, the the cousins next door. And and the floodwaters are filling up in the house. And, And the floodwaters are right up to the necks of Judah. And God has said, there is no peace. There is no peace because you have ignored me. You have rebelled against me. Your leaders are unjust. You turn to other gods and all you give me is mere lip service. And I think as you've seen, as you've looked through Isaiah, you've seen glimpses of hope, but that's all they are, mere glimpses. And that's the backdrop for the passage today, as we come to the end of this mini-series on Isaiah. In contrast to all that judgment, Isaiah 11 is, is the first real boost, the first real hope, for a nation of rebels who face judgment. They've been handed their just but very heavy depressing sentence and it's a very, very bleak picture. And God's rebellious are told for the first time, I'll send you a saviour. I'll send you a saviour. You see that in in, in verse 1 of chapter 11. Verse 1, follow along with me. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse... From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. In the middle of the smouldering field of, of, of stumps, a shoot is growing. A branch is bearing fruit. And what do we learn about it? Well, the stump is Jesse's. Jesse? Jesse's King David's father. This shoot, rising from the ashes, has royal blood. This shoot is a king. This shoot is a God-given saviour. What makes him God-given? How do we know he's better than any of the other kings who've gone before and failed? Well, there's two reasons, I think. Firstly, verse 2 tells us he has God's spirit. Verse 2. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of the knowledge and the fear of the Lord. This saviour... This saviour has God's spirit. And secondly, by God's spirit, this saviour will do what no human can do. Let me show you his superhuman capabilities in verse 3. A little bit into it. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes. He will not decide by what he hears with his ears. But with righteousness, he will judge the needy. With justice, he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. With the breath of his lips, he will slay the wicked. Now in Australia, we have a great judicial system, don't we? Um, especially when you compare it to some other parts of the world. Generally, we don't live in fear of injustice. We don't f- live in fear of bribery and corruption. But our ju- even, even though our judici- ju- judicial system is good... It's not perfect, is it? I mean, big corporations, they always seem to get their way a bit more often than the poor family struggling on the, at the end of the road. I mean, all you need to do is watch, watch a show like The Castle, um, and, 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 and we all love that show, don't we? Why is The Castle so, so appealing? It's because usually the big corporation wins. We don't expect the struggling family... To succeed and see justice against the huge corporation. It's not normal. Because as good as 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 good and as impartial as our judicial system is, mistakes are made. There is bias. There are unknowns. Our judges are not perfect. What does Isaiah tell us about the God given Saviour who's coming? He doesn't judge by what he sees or what he hears as if he could be deceived he knows the complete truth he doesn't ignore the needy or the poor or the vulnerable he judges in complete righteousness how does he do that how 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 does he succeed in justice even when the some of the best judicial systems in the world fail it's because he has god's spirit that's what we saw he has wisdom as god does he has understanding as god does he has knowledge as god does and so he can judge rightly as god does and who is this amazing this amazing god-given spirit-filled saving judge 700 years after this prophecy jesus entered into the world that's what we celebrate at christmas jesus coming into the world And as we read our New Testament, and as we read in Matthew 3 today, Jesus was spirit-filled. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. Jesus had God's Spirit. Jesus is the spirit-filled saviour. He's the one who judges with complete truth, with complete righteousness, in a way that only God can. Now, judging and judgment doesn't deal with the root cause of Judah's problem. Because having a judge means that there are still wrongs that are happening that need to be judged. And so what does this God-given, Spirit-filled Savior do about that? Well, he establishes a righteous judgment and he establishes peace. He brings us peace. Now, close your eyes, and it's a very dangerous thing for me to say in the middle of a sermon in a warm afternoon, but close your eyes because this picture is too beautiful for us not to pass up on it. Close your eyes and and listen to the safety, to the security and the peace in Isaiah. The wolf will live with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat. The calf and the lion and the yearling together and a little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear. The young will lie down together and the lion will eat straw like the ox. The infant will play near the cobra's den and the young child will put his hand into the viper's nest. Is that a beautiful picture? You can open your eyes again. Is that a beautiful picture of peace? Now these verses aren't saying that lions are going to become vegetarians. That's not what it's saying at all. It's helping us understand that God's saviour, he will bring peace. He will bring safety and security. I tried to find a photo on Google of a child with a lion, like a real photo, not photoshopped, and I couldn't find any. Yet verse 6 in our passage today says that a child will be leading a lion. This picture in Isaiah, this, this peace, this safety, this security, it's beyond what even Google can come up with. It's beyond what we can fathom in this world, isn't it? A peace. That is amazing. Let's think about that a little bit. Can you imagine a world where where you don't have to do a risk assessment ever again, where you don't have to check your safe church qualifications, where where there's no more sexual harassment, where where hashtag MeToo doesn't exist anymore, Where, where a young woman can go out for dinner and walk home in the middle of the night with no fear. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine child exploitation done away with? Domestic violence never again. That's what God's spirit filled Saviour brings. How wonderful. Let's think about how this peace comes. Notice that it's not through aid work, notice that it's not through child sponsorship, it's not even through education. Those things are all very good and very important what does Isaiah say in verse 9? They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain. That is, peace will come because, here we go, the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. The knowledge of God. You either know God, which leads to peace, or you ignore God, which leads to judgment, to suffering, and to pain. That's the judgment Isaiah has been on about for the last 10 chapters, as you've been looking at this over the last few weeks. Judgment, arid desolation, brokenness. It all, became, it all came about because of rebellion, because of rejection of God, because of ignore, ign- ignorance of God. And what's the cure? It's this Saviour coming and knowing God. Knowing God's Spirit-filled Saviour. In the midst of Isaiah's barren world, where Judah ignored God, where where Judah faced judgment, in chapter 11 we see hope for a saviour. We see that he will establish peace beyond our comprehension. Now you might have spotted a problem. What's the point of having peace in a charred and barren forest where there's no one to enjoy it. That's where we started off with, isn't it? At the start of the chapter, in verse 1, all that's around stumps, nothing else. If there are no trees, no kingdom to save, so what if a shoot is coming up? So what if there's a bit of fruit? It's too late, isn't it? It's a bit pointless. Well, You might have guessed, the Saviour has that covered. Because as well as bringing peace... He's a kingdom builder. He's bringing in a kingdom as well. This God-appointed, spirit-filled, peace-bringing saviour establishes a kingdom. Picture the people streaming in as I read from verse 10. In that day, the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the peoples. The nations will rally to him and his resting place will be glorious. In battles, a banner is raised so that you know who to follow, where you're going. It's a bit like a duckling. Uh, ducklings following their mother or, or maybe maybe mother, mother birds. They follow. Ducklings follow their mother because their mother looks after them. She, she protects them. She shows them the food. She shows them where, where, they, where their sermons are wrong. It's, it's the same thing that's happening here. God's Saviour will make it very clear for his people Those who know him, remember what we said before about knowing God, those who know him will see his banner and flock to him. God's people follow God's saviour. Verse 11, in that day, the Lord will reach out his hand a second time to reclaim the surviving remnant of his people from Assyria, from Lower Egypt, from Upper Egypt, from Cush, from Elam, from Babylonia, from Hamath, and from the islands of the Mediterranean. That's like saying from Geelong, from Greensboro, the Dandenongs, from the peninsula, every direction people are coming in. Verse 12, he will raise a banner for the nations, gather the exiles of Israel. He will assemble the scattered people of Judah from the four quarters of the earth. They will come from everywhere, the four quarters of the earth, every direction. It's like the the Melbourne train system. All the trains go into the middle. All trains going to Flinders, from north, south, east, west. God's people flock to him. Verse 13, Ephraim's jealousy will vanish. Judah's enemies will be destroyed. Ephraim will not be jealous of Judah, nor Judah hostile toward Ephraim. There'll be no more infighting like brothers um, wrestling over toys within God's kingdom. Just like the peace, remember the lion lying with the lamb? Just like that, that's the peace that we see. Verse 14, they will swoop down on the slopes of Philistia to the west. Together they will plunder the people to the east. They will subdue Edom and Moab and the Ammonites will be subject to them. That's talking about the dangerous enemies being subdued. Just like the safety of a a, a little boy being able to put his hand inside a a viper's nest, there's going to be safety because the enemies are dealt with. Verse 15: The Lord will dry up the gulf of the Egyptian sea. With a scorching wind, he will sweep his hand over the Euphrates River. He will break it up into seven streams so that anyone can cross over it in sandals. There will be a highway for the remnant of his people that is left from Assyria, as there was from Israel when they came up from Egypt. Even as God's people stream in from all around, that journey will be safe. There will be no dangers. It'll be easy. All the big rivers, they'll just be very simple to cross. You can do it in sandals. The wilderness will have highways through it, so it'll be an easy journey. And all of this will happen when God's Savior comes. A kingdom will be established as people come from the corners of the globe. It's a beautiful picture. But is that what we see today? I mean, we've already identified that Jesus is the, is the God-given, spirit-filled saviour. But he, is he peace-bringing? Is he really establishing a kingdom? as Isaiah says it? Is that our experience? I don't know about you, but I don't see world peace. That's what I... What about the kingdoms of the world today? They say that America is the big superpower and, well, if that's the case, that's a bit scary, isn't it? Given all the violence that's there, it doesn't quite match up with Isaiah 11. Maybe it's China. Maybe China's the kingdom that Isaiah is talking about. Well, they don't, have a pretty good, they don't have a very good human rights record either. So much for, for caring for the poor and the vulnerable. How do we make sense of all of this? this? This amazing picture, it doesn't seem to match our world today. Well, we do this by understanding Jesus, by looking at this through the lens of Jesus. You see, 700 years after this prophecy was made... Jesus began to fulfill it. He was a spirit-filled saviour, as we saw in our New Testament reading. And throughout his ministry, over and over, we see that he judged rightly, that he cared for the poor and the neglected, that he said, let the little children come to me. He healed the lepers who were on the edge of society. And we see that the climax of Jesus' ministry... The pinnacle was to bring peace to humanity. The biggest problem in our world is world peace. And by that I mean peace with God. Because we all spurn and we all reject God. There is no peace in our relationship with him. And so, because our relationship with him is broken, all of our other relationships with one another are broken. And the climax of Jesus' ministry was to restore that fundamental relationship between us and God, to fix the brokenness that we had caused and that we felt amongst one another. And so the kingdom, this kingdom that Jesus establishes, is not a kingdom of this world The kingdom that that Jesus establishes is, is, is a living kingdom. And it's established as we know God. Jesus says, if you know me, you know the Father. Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. Jesus brings peace. He establishes his kingdom because as we know Jesus, we know God. And as we know God, we live under God's rule and we trust him. It's easy to come to God, just as the rivers were made safe and there were highways in the desert, so God has made it easy for us to know him by his grace. Christians, brothers and sisters, we are the kingdom that Jesus is establishing. This kingdom is growing as people know Jesus. Jesus. Now, if you're here and you don't know Jesus already, amidst all that is going on in this world, Jesus is the God-given saviour. He's the one who is bringing peace. He's the one who is establishing his kingdom. And so, will you look to Jesus? Will you follow Jesus? Will you trust Jesus? For those of us here who do trust in Jesus, well, what do you do now? I mean, the ongoing injustices of the world, they still look bleak, don't they? Our country is moving more and more towards secularism. It, it's wrong if you voted no in the plebiscite. That euthanasia bill that just passed. Religious, religious education in our schools has been, been, been replaced by safe schools with, with radical gender theory. Christians are being pushed to the edge of society. that doesn't even include all the other other painful things that are happening in the world drugs terrorism violence what do we do christians what do we do how do we respond should we be activists should we be idealists like i was 15 years ago the sort of people that that nelson mandela was he said he said we need to fix these problems and we do that by educating people The quote up there is from Nelson Mandela, and he says, No one is born hating another person because of the colour of his skin or his background or his religion. People must learn to hate, and if they can learn to hate, they can be taught to love, for love comes more naturally to the human heart than its opposite. Mandela, like many other activists, says, We can fix things. And we can fix it through education. But what does Isaiah say? Isaiah says, no, don't be fooled. Don't be fooled as I once was into thinking that I could make the world a better place without God. Don't be fooled. We've seen that it is God's promised saviour, it is Jesus who fixes the world's problems. Yes, do good. Yes, love and care for others. Yes, try and work at making the world a better place. But do not think that you are God. You cannot fix the world in the way that God has. Don't be fooled. That is what Jesus has already done for us at the cross. Actually, you should be rejoicing because there is a huge burden off your shoulders. It's not up to you to fix the world. It's not up to you to make the world a better place because Jesus has done that. That's Jesus' work. And so we love. And yes, we do care for people. But it's only because of what Jesus has done and we can be confident in our hope of what is to come, knowing that all will be made new when Jesus returns. That's when all the wrongs will be made right. What about the cynic? What about the grumpy old men, or those who want to be grumpy old men? It's the same thing, isn't it? Don't be so negative. Yes, there still will be suffering. Yes, there still will be pain. But only for now. Jesus will return. And when he does, and we don't know when that's going to happen, when he does... Remember that, 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 that picture of peace that you, that you imagined as I read Isaiah? The, the one that Google can't even deal with? That will be our experience. And so if you're that cynic, lift your hopes. Be excited. Look forward to this time. Whether you're, a, you're an activist or whether you're a cynic, whether you're something in between, become a realist. Look to Jesus. Point others to Jesus, the one who is the sure hope for a better world. And it's a better world beyond our imagination because of what Jesus has already done for us. Look to Jesus. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, We thank you so much for the hope that you give us in Jesus. Thank you for the beautiful picture of peace that we see in Isaiah, of safety and security. And thank you that we know in Jesus you have dealt with all the injustice of the world. Father, help us to know Jesus and to point others toward knowing Jesus, trusting in this sure hope you have given us.